You are listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast by The Crossing on how to live into God's bigger story. Hi, welcome to A Bigger Life. I'm Dave Cover. We're going to look at Psalm 8 today. And when we think about this podcast, A Bigger Life, Psalm 8 might be sort of the theme psalm of this podcast. It captures the very idea of what I'm trying to capture in this podcast, and that is the idea of living into God's bigger story for us, seeing God in a bigger way and seeing the signs in our creation, signs in our lives that God has a bigger story for us and seeing that story in the story of Christ and the story of the scriptures, the the one story, epic story of the Bible that leads us to this larger story in Christ. That's what Psalm 8 is. It's one of these psalms that you sort of have to pay attention because it goes by quickly. And it starts in verse 1. It says, Lord, and that's the all capital L-O-R-D. So that's translating the Hebrew name Yahweh. O Lord, our Lord. And that's the Hebrew word for Adonai. So that... This is complicated, and especially listening to this, you know, it's going to get kind of in the quagmire here. But when you read in your English Bible in the Old Testament, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord, that's Yahweh. That's the I am. That's translating that name for God that is the most used term for God in the Old Testament. And then when you see capital L and then small case O-R-D, that's translating the Hebrew word Adonai, which means uh, Lord. It means owner, uh, master, king. And these are two separate Hebrew terms for God. One is a title, Lord, and the other is a name. Now, when we're just reading our Bible, we don't necessarily stop and notice the difference, but that difference is here. And so what David is saying is, oh, Yahweh, our Lord, our creator, our owner, our master, our king, how majestic is your name, and that's the name Yahweh, the I am. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. I'm just going to stop there for a minute because I want to notice the biggest thing that David sees when he looks at the physical universe, when he looks up into the sky at night, and sees the stars, and sees the moon, the biggest thing he sees is God. You have set your glory in the heavens, he says in verse 1. You have set your glory, Yahweh, the I am, the source of all existence, the giver of all life. You have set your glory in the heavens, which means when David sees the stars and sees the moon, and he he sees the sun, all these things, he sees the glory of of God. He gets a greater glimpse of God. He gets a greater glimpse of who God is. Now, of course, we know a whole lot more about what he's actually looking at when he looks up into the sky than what David knew back then. Sometimes when you think you see a star, you're actually seeing a galaxy. We know that the earth, which is incredibly vast and majestic enough, is really only a small planet in a relatively small solar system toward the outer edge of one of billions of galaxies in the universe. And so this is kind of a 
the size of the galaxies and the distances between galaxies and between stars is overwhelmingly incomprehensible. We know that light itself travels 160,000 miles per second. And it's coming at us from the most distant stars, the most distant galaxies of the universe, and traveling 186,000 miles per second, the light takes, in some cases, 13 billion years to get here. Now, that's just incomprehensible. I heard it described this way one time when you start to think of the scale, that if our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, was, say, the size of North America, just to kind of get a scale in your head. If our galaxy was the size of North America, then our entire solar system, you know, our sun, and then Mercury, Venus, the Earth, Mars, the Milky Way galaxy, the galaxy that we're in, was the size of North America, then our entire solar system would be the size of a coffee cup. And the Earth would just barely be visible as kind of a speck inside the coffee cup. And that's just one galaxy. And our galaxy is just one of hundreds of billions of galaxies in the universe. Now, if God created this universe that's incomprehensibly vast, we can't even begin to comprehend how vast this universe is with all the mysteries of its physics, of atoms and photons and gravitons and quarks and quantum physics. What does that show us? about God, the the glory of God, the majesty of God? How does it display to us the glory of the I am? I mean, even just the mathematics alone is incomprehensible. So when David says, O Yahweh, our owner, our creator, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. When I consider your heavens, when I consider the work of your fingers, the stars that you have set in place, David is saying when he looks at the stars, all he can think about is how splendidly awesome is God. Now, how much more with the knowledge that we know of the universe should we look up or even just acknowledge the universe and say how splendidly awesome is God. How majestic is his name. How glorious is his wisdom, his power, his greatness, his intelligence, the scale of everything about God. He's not a God that in any kind of way is going to fit within our mental box, our expectations, our assumptions of what, who, how God should be. Psalm 8 is telling us that the universe is a picture of God in a way that blows all of our categories. So then David just gets honest and he says, when I look up into the sky and I see the vastness of the stars and the universe, my first question is, how would such an incredible God whose glory is in the heavens, how does he really care about me? I mean, I'm such a dot. Why would God, the God that created this universe, 
care about me. And we would ask that even now, now that we know how vast the universe is, you hear people say a lot, well, how would the God that created this universe even care about this small planet? And it seems to be sort of a, an attack against the belief in God himself, because it just doesn't make sense that the God that creates this universe would be so involved in the affairs of this planet and would be somebody that you could pray to. But that's the whole glory. That's the whole mystery of this bigger story of the gospel. And so David says in verse three, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. In other words, who, who are we that you would care about when you think of how vast this universe is? And then he says in verse five, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. Here's what David is saying. Look, Genesis 1 says you created this universe in a way, in a mysterious way, where you created human beings in your image to rule over in some way, to reflect your glory, to reflect your love, to continue the work of your creation in some way, caring for your creation. You created us in your image to be a royalty, a godlike royalty in your creation. And it's a mystery, it's a paradox, but whatever it is, this is what your destiny is for human beings. This is your purpose for human beings. Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28 is God's whole purpose for creating human beings. And it just reminds us that in the Bible, God loves paradoxes. The smallest becomes the greatest. Humble yourself and you'll be exalted. Exalt yourself and you'll be humbled. God chose the foolish to shame the wise. The seemingly insignificant becomes the most significant in God's story. God the, of the universe being born in poverty in an insignificant place somewhere on the planet that's being controlled by an empire and living in poverty, raised in poverty. These are the kinds of paradoxes God loves. And so this whole thing that David is saying about what we just talked about is a recapitulation of what Genesis 1 and 2 are all about, which says that human beings were made in God's image to rule and to live in glory and to live with honor and dominion, to be crowned royalty. And these are attributes of God in the Bible, and yet they're ascribed to human beings in this psalm because they're, we've been created in the glory of the image of God. By the way, this is why racism is such a demonic thing. It totally disdains and treats with contempt the very image of God in people. In any kind of way that we disparage somebody, however we are disparaging them, and especially if we disparage them in any kind of way because of their race, it is an incredible evil against this glory, against this honor, this dominion, this crown that God has created every human being in. Now, it's interesting because later in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, Psalm 8 is quoted at length. It says in Hebrews 2, 6 through 10, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? It's quoting this psalm. 
a son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And then the author of Hebrews then says, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. This is what Genesis 1 and 2 is all about. This is what the story of the Bible starts with. This is the scene that is set in this larger story that human beings are crowned with glory and honor and God has put everything under our feet. That's just a euphemism for saying that we are royalty that rules over everything, reflecting God's rule, his love, his glory, and sharing in the creation of God. So the author says, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. And then he goes on to say, yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. So what the author of Hebrews is saying is, look, we don't see Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28 in play. It's a decree of God, but yet it's not in existence. It's not happening. Human beings have been exiled. We have fallen. Instead of living in honor, we live in dishonor. Instead of living in glory, we try to have our own glory and we fall short of the glory of God. The irony is we live a life of dust and death and thorns and thistles when we were created for such a glorious existence. And so then the author of Hebrews says, but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. So here's, here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Jesus has taken back Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and Genesis 2. He's taken that back for humanity. In Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus as the Christ, Jesus as the perfect human king who has come and he has suffered and he has died and he has broken through the other side of death. He has taken the judgment of God for human sin. He has taken upon himself the thorns and the thistles and the dust and the death and he has broken through the other side by rising from the dead, and he takes back Genesis 1, and he takes back Genesis 2 for humanity. And so in Christ, he says he's bringing many sons and daughters back to glory, back to the honor, back to the purpose that God created human beings for. This is the larger story that our lives are in. This is the story of the gospel. When Christ returns to earth and brings back restoration to the earth and restoration to humans who follow Jesus by a resurrection just like his, he restores us and he restores the earth to Genesis one twenty six and Genesis 2, where we are to spread the paradise of God, the image of God, the flourishing of God, the tree of life, the presence of God throughout the earth, and to rule with God, to reflect the glory of God, to continue the creation and caring for creation of God. Now, here's what's really interesting. The verse I skipped in Psalm 8 is verse 2. It says, out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. And the um, 
Greek translation of the Hebrew says you have established praise because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Now, here's the thing. That's the verse in Psalm 8 that Jesus quotes when he enters Jerusalem the last week of his life in order to die. Jesus quotes this psalm. Now, we're going back to saying what we've said before. Jesus spent a lot of times in the psalms. He meditated on the psalms. He knew them by memory. He obviously prayed them back to God because he believed, he understood them to be written by the Holy Spirit, and he understood their power as the Word of God, and so he was steeped in them, he meditated on them. That's what we're trying to do often in this podcast. And when Jesus quotes Psalm 8, he quotes this verse because the Pharisees were yelling at him because people were saying things to him that they would only say of God. Hoshiana, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were rebuking Jesus for not rebuking the crowd. And he said, haven't you read in the scriptures? And then he quotes this Psalm 8, verse 2, that Jesus is applying this Psalm to his entering Jerusalem to die, to take back what this Psalm is ultimately all about. And that is God sharing his glory giving his glory to human beings. So if we read back over this psalm, we see that the whole point here of God's glory in the universe, he has set his majesty in all the earth. He has set his glory in the heavens. And he has, David says, when he considers the heavens and the work of God's hands, the moon, the stars, which God has set in place, it's a paradox. Who is mankind that God should care for them? Who is the son of man that God should care? He's crowned us with glory and honor and made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet. But then not so much right now, Hebrews says. We don't, th- we don't see things under the feet of humanity, but we do see Jesus, the author of Hebrews says, and Jesus has suffered death and he has broken through and he brings many sons and daughters back to glory. And this is the larger story of the gospel. This is the bigger life. This is the narrative of your life. To see yourself in Genesis 1 and 2 and see yourself in Revelation 21 and 22 and everything in between as Jesus is the one that brings you back to glory. Jesus is the one when you just look at this universe and the power of God and the wisdom of God and the greatness of God and the glory of God and the splendor of God. You are brought back into that story. That God is right now mindful of you, cares about you, became human in order to die for you, to bring you back into his glorious story, to bring you back into a a life of honor and glory, to reign as godlike royalty on God's renewed, restored earth. So I think there's a lot here for us to be able to meditate on and to pray. Let me lead you for a moment here, meditating on this verse, just like Jesus obviously did. Let's do that just like Jesus did. Let's meditate on this psalm. Let's pray it back to God and remind ourselves the larger story we're in, remind ourselves of the glory of God and reboot 
ourselves. Even if we get off track, sometimes prayers like this can can refocus us and reboot us into the larger story, the true story our lives are in. Let's pray now. Oh, Lord, Yahweh, the I am. Our Lord, our creator, our owner, our king. How majestic is your name in all the universe. We see your beauty and we see your glory and we see your majesty and your radiance. You have set your glory in the universe. We look up and we see this incredible God who created this vast universe and we see a glimpse of your power. We see a glimpse of your wisdom, your intelligence. And as vast as the universe is, incomprehensibly vast, your power is infinitely beyond that. Your love is a measure of your love for us, that you're mindful of us. Your love for us is as vast as the universe and infinitely beyond that. We think about the vastness of this universe. It's incomprehensible, and yet that's just a glimpse. It's a picture. When we look up, we see a picture of the vastness of your love for us, the vastness of your wisdom for your will for our lives, the vastness of your goodness in your will for our lives. We look at the universe and we see a picture. We see physical proof that we can trust you. Because you are mindful of us. You have set your glory and honor upon us. You crown us with glory and honor. You make us rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under our feet. Well, right now we are in the thorns and thistles and dust and death of exile and yet you have become human to take back this story you have come in the image of god the righteousness of god as the perfect human who became the perfect human king who died to take away the thorns and thistles and dust and death of our exile you have broken through the other side you have broken through the other side of death by rising from the dead and you will transform our dead, dusty, lowly bodies into an image, into this transformed body, just like your glorious body when you return and you transform this earth back to the honor and the glory and bring us back into honor and glory of this story. And if that's what you've already done, then that's who we already are. So Paul says in Romans 8, those whom he has called, he has also justified, made righteous, and those he has justified, he has also glorified. We are already glorified because we are in this story of what you have already done in Christ. You have already done this for me because you love me. The God that created this universe, I have no idea how this paradox works, but how could such a God be mindful of me? And yet the scriptures say that's exactly what it is. You are mindful of me. Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
That's the story my life is in because that's the God you are. That's the God of glory, the God of majesty, the God of beauty, the God of radiance that I worship that created this entire universe and that is mindful of me. So I can trust your will for me. I can trust when I don't understand. I can trust your will for me. I can trust your wisdom in your will for me. Even when I don't understand what's happening and why, I know that you do. I can trust your goodness. I can rely on your goodness. Even when I don't understand what's happening and it doesn't seem good and it doesn't seem like the will that I want for my life, I can trust your will. I can trust your love. I can trust your sovereignty because you are, oh Lord, our Lord. You are Lord of heaven and earth. You are the I am and you are the owner and you are the master of this entire universe and you are in control of everything in this entire universe and you are in control of everything in my life and every detail in my life. So when I look at the heavens, when I look at the universe, I can see that your glory, your vastness of your goodness the vastness of your love. You have set your glory in the heavens. You have set your love, the glory of your love in the heavens, the glory of your goodness in the heavens, the glory of your righteousness in the heavens, the glory of your wisdom in the heavens, the glory of your plan for my life, your story for me, your will for me is already set in the heavens. And when I look up at the stars, I see proof that you are worthy of my trust, that this story is the story that brings glory and honor, crowns me with glory and honor and beauty and radiance of being a godlike royalty created in your image to be brought back into this story that Jesus came and died and rose from the dead to bring me back into. So I trust you. Oh, Lord, my Lord, how majestic is your name in all the universe. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.